Welcome back to Dealing Together. First caller? I bought three sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller? I traded my old Samsung at AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus and chose my plan. That's not a bad deal. It is not. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Small doses of help from the hip. Small doses. Talking that shit. Small doses. Keeping it real. Small doses. With me and Amanda Seals. It's so funky. <laughs> it's another edition of Small Doses. Small Doses. I just ruined our beautiful theme song by coming in with that. What's up, y'all? It's Amanda Seals. Another edition of Small Doses. We are sharing these potent truths for everyday use. I hope you're enjoying these self-helps from the hips. You know, I, I feel like I, I'm just trying to do my best to share with y'all the stuff that be flying through my head and coming through my heart and, you know, filtered through my soul. And uh, sometimes I hit the mark, sometimes I don't. But what I do appreciate is how much support you all are giving the show. And all my beautiful guests that come through are just fantastic. And um, we have a, another wonderful guest on this show, Side Effects of being an innovator. And we have one hell of an innovator on the show today. We have Robert Glasper, very well-known Grammy Award-winning jazz musician and composer, is hanging out on the couch in Amanda Land to talk about you know his, his journey and his experiences being an innovator and the side effects therein. You know, being an innovator is something that, especially for my creatives who are listening, is a goal. You know, it's like you don't you don't want to come out here um, with something that is is not unique. You feel like you want to come to the world. You want to bring something to the canon that speaks your voice and that speaks your style. That is the goal. But that can sometimes not be easy to achieve. And once achieved, it cannot be easy to uphold. So we are going to talk about all of that today right here on Small Doses, Potent Truths for Everyday Use. Let's get into it. Jam dropping, jam dropping, jam dropping. We're dropping on these hoes. So one of the key components to being an innovator is coming up with something new. But I think we've all heard the phrase that no idea is original. There's nothing new under the sun. I mean, at this point, it feels like anything you do is kind of like reinventing the wheel. But I think we can all agree that there are ways that the wheel has been improved. Remember spinners? Right, right, right. And listen, my thing is the dopeness is in the details. So a lot of times it's like, okay, you may not have completely come up with something new, but you found a way to refine something that's already here or to make it, you know, not just what it was, but enhanced in another way. Here's the trick. And this is today's gem dropping. There's a difference between borrowing versus biting. So let's get into the important distinction between these two. When you're borrowing something, you're basically using a previous reference to inspire something new. And it's not to say that it is completely 100% without involvement in it, but it also is to say that it's not the whole root of what you're doing, which is exactly what 
biting is. When you're biting, it's to say that you're not involving your own style. You're not bringing your own swagger and swing to it. You're essentially just copying what someone else did and making it your own. Now, in this world of social media, this is an incredibly problematic issue because you get people that think that simply by just taking something from someone's page and putting it on their page that voila, that's fine. It's mine now. No, there's no finders keepers when it comes to art, when it comes to jokes, and when it comes to unique points of view. We have to give reference to them. Now, barring is when you utilize somebody else's point of view to help support your point of view, simply like a works cited or a bibliography. But when we simply just throw it there and say like, aha, see, that's what I said too, it's not going to cut it. Now, in music, I think that we have a lot of references of this because when hip hop first came out, there was a lot of issues with the jazz community because they were saying that hip hop was basically biting jazz. But hip hoppers, we all feel like, no, we were borrowing from jazz as inspiration to develop hip hop. You know, hip hop not only borrowed from jazz, but it borrowed from disco, it borrowed from soul, it borrowed from rock and roll. You know, that's what sampling was all about. Sampling was about taking these other records and utilizing them and finding new ways to make new music. That's borrowing and that's using the past to inspire the future, which is essentially is what the whole history thing is all about. Right. It's all about using history to not make the same mistakes, but also using history as way using history as a platform to create an even better future. And I don't know about you, but I'm very happy that we use the history of the music that came before to create a better future where hip hop exists. Our guest later on the show, Robert Glasper, is going to talk more about that because he is someone who's absolutely had to deal with that as an innovator in jazz. He came through with the jazz jazz vibes, but then he threw on some hip-hop and folks got all willy-nilly. Now... Within hip hop, and I talk about hip hop because that's where I first, my first love was. Within hip hop, you get cats who are absolutely biters. The term biters comes from hip hop. You know, when you hear cats that are simply just biting certain flows, you're just like, come on, bruh. Really? I mean, like, I'm sorry, but Galchester, that song that Drake has called Galchester, that is a complete Migos Bite. They should get an actual check, a royalty check for his flow on that record. <laughs> I don't know people are going to be mad and they're going to start texting me, but it is literally Amigos record done by Drake. That's what it is. It's essentially like when Target has like collabos with, with major designers, you know, it's at Target, but it's Peter Paletto, but it's being done by Target. It's the same thing. I'm not saying it ain't a dope record. I'm not saying he didn't do a great job, but in my opinion, that was a bite, not a borrow. Now, the, I think there's a lot of people who would say that Chris Brown is biting Michael Jackson. I don't agree. I think Chris Brown is inspired by Michael Jackson. I think Chris Brown has his own flavor. I think he has his own style. I don't think his songs, aside from Fine China, which is absolutely a Michael Jackson bite, but I will accept it because it's a great bite. I think he simply is somebody who is clearly inspired by Michael Jackson. Are we going to act like Bruno Mars is not inspired by Michael Jackson? Are we going to act like Usher is not inspired by Michael Jackson? One of my favorite Boondocks episodes is when Martin Luther King Jr. comes back from the dead and tells Usher, Michael Jackson is not a genre of music. (laughs) But I think it would be remiss for us to say that with these immense greats behind us, how could they not 
come through in the music of now. Like Bruno Mars, I think, is doing a great job of not biting, but borrowing the essence of the 90s. And if you're like me and Charlemagne, we are so obsessed with the 90s and consider it to be the best era for like recent black music that I'm thankful for it. But I think that he's doing it in a way that is still so uniquely Bruno Mars. It doesn't feel derivative. It doesn't feel like he's like, you know, trying to be a 90s artist that already happened. He's basically being like what he would have been if Bruno Mars had recorded in the 90s. And I'm here for it. Now, in comedy, you get folks that are absolute biters because they will simply just take your joke. They will literally come through and be like, oh, that's me and go on stage and take your joke. And they'll be like, oh, well, that's part of the game. You know, that's how it goes. Remember in the show, The Marvelous Miss Mizell on Amazon, her husband legit was like, well, that's what we all do. We all steal jokes. Fuck out of here. Let me hear somebody stealing my joke. We're going to have a hard discussion. We're going to have a talk and it's not going to be a curve. It's going to be a diss. Okay. Is what it's going to be. But I think the uniqueness that comes from borrowing is lost in biting. And that's where innovation does not live. There is no innovation in biting. And that's the thing. You got to have a certain integrity about what you're creating. You know, when you're biting, you're a thief. You're simply just copping from somebody else's intellectual property and saying like, yo, I'm going to do this now. And I'm going to do it better. But you know what? You're not going to do it better. And I think some people do that because they're afraid that, they, that what they have is not good enough. And you know what? It might not be, which is why you should go do something else. But the reality is, is like stealing from other people is never okay. Whether it's an idea, a joke, sunglasses, it's never okay to just jack from somebody. And how you feel good about that? I do not like a jack move. The only jack moves that I'm supportive of are sexual sexual moves. If you, if your boy does a move that has apparently gotten really good reviews, jack that shit. Freely take it, use it, spread the wealth, okay? Utilize that. I'm going to call that borrowing. <laughs> That's not biting. But the beauty of borrowing is that when something has been cultivated and has been done with excellence, it is there to inspire more excellence. It is there for you to stand on the shoulders of and to create in a further great way. For instance, Smart, Funny, and Black, for all intents and purposes, is built on borrowing from the immense coffer of black culture that exists. You know, I got to do a whole show where we be singing all these classic records and we can just reference Martin and we can reference W.E.B. Du Bois and we can reference Gabby Douglas. All of these incredibly immense figures and creators that have come before us, they're here so that we can reference them to create something new and something great. And that's what I feel like we've done with Smart, Funny, and Black. And that's why I feel like shows like In Living Color did and The Chappelle Show and they take ideas that are absolutely not necessarily 100% new and they make them their own. So when you're out here and you're innovating, I think that it's key for you to also just stand on your own too and be brave in that. You got to be willing to know that not every idea you come up with is going to be a good idea. But if it's unique to you and it's something that you've made from your soul and your spirit, then that's what really matters. And you got to get to the core of what really lives in you in order to do that, not what lives in somebody else. Well, we had a struggle getting questions for this DMT because people were not sending questions about innovation. They were sending their own side effects of being an innovator. And I was 
thoroughly uh, in, involved in reading the different side effects that people expressed about being an innovator. You know, people talked about the fact that like once you're an innovator, people want to tap into you, you know, and drain you of your ideas. And it was funny that someone said that because that's essentially what was happening in my DMs. People were sending me like their business ideas and asking me to give them answers. Like I run a tech company. Can you tell me what I need to do with my tech company? I have a podcast. How can you, do, how did you start your podcast, etc. And don't get me wrong. Like, if I know an answer to those things, I absolutely would share it. But for the purpose of this show, DMT questions are about the actual art and lifestyle of being an innovator, not of how to help you in your current innovation. Okay. So we got some really good questions after I had to milk the almond. And um, let's jump it off. How does one navigate the pressure of being creative in their innovation. For example, as time passes, how should you nurture creativity to avoid complacency and stagnation? I think this is a really good question because a lot of times it's like when we start with something creative, we have this like seemingly endless well of ideas and of excitement. And a lot of being an innovator is not just about having ideas, but it's about having stamina. Okay, because you're going to be on this path by yourself for some of the time um, and without necessarily a blueprint and without guidance. And you're going to have to figure out ways to keep yourself going um, that are not necessarily based on other people. And I think one of the main ways of doing that is always having this kind of like thesis statement that you come back to that is why you're doing what you're doing. And I've found that there have been times when I'm creating something and it's just like I kind of get bored with it and I'm just like, I don't really know like where I can come from to get fresh with this. And what I'll do is I'll go back to like, okay, why did you create this in the first place? What is the need for it? And then what I'll do is I'll step away and I'll just go watch other people's innovations. And I'll kind of like just get inspired by the way that they're doing their thing in their space. One of the best ideas to me to give any artist is sometimes stop doing your art for that moment and go watch someone else do their art. And a lot of times their innovation inspires your own innovation. It sparks something in you to see somebody doing it. It's almost like... um. It's like a law of attraction kind of thing. It just ignites. It ignites you. It's like when you're watching Lord of the Rings. Remember in Lord of the Rings and they had to like light all of the different fires from the different kingdoms in order to alert everybody that it was about to go down. We was about to handle these orcs. It was about to be shut down. That is what it's like watching other artists. It's like you're lighting the fires of Rohan and then they look like your fire. You see their fire lit and you're like, yes, come on, baby, light my fire. And that is... A beautiful thing when you see it happen because it's real, but you have to allow for it to happen. So I think that's one of the ways you can actually like prevent yourself from remaining stagnant. I think another way is also just pacing yourself. You know, uh, we kind of expect things to happen overnight sometimes. And when they don't, we're just like, oh, I'm burnt out. You know, like, how can I just, you know, make this happen? And it's not happening. You got to pace yourself. You got to know that, especially when you're coming with innovation, you're moving in a grid that hasn't fully been created and that's going to take a little bit of time to kind of like move through. 
And if you don't give yourself the time to do it and you're not allowing for the space to let your taste change, you're going to get frustrated because your taste is inevitably going to change over the course of innovation. It's just the facts. As you grow with your product, your taste will develop. Things that may have seemed like really cool in the beginning may not necessarily seem as great when you get to a certain point. And you have to have that trust in yourself that says at the end of the day, what I do know is that thesis statement about my product. And so even though my taste has changed, it still allows me to take a look at, is this a better idea? Because the best idea is what should win. A lot of innovators get stuck in that the first idea that they had is still the best idea. And as you get more information and as you get more inspiration and as you get more confident, you may realize, you know what? That's not the case. I have a TV show that I'm writing Originally, it started as one idea, which was a great idea. But as I delved more and more into the project and as I learned more and more about these characters I was creating, it just developed and I had to let it go and roll with it. Just roll with it. Rolling with the homies to get to it where it is now. And where it is now feels like where it's actually like comfortably going to be nestled. But if I had been really just like rigid about it, I would have done myself a disservice. Same with Smart, Funny and Black. Like I've been able to like advance it this far because I've stopped being rigid. And that was one of the biggest lessons I had to learn in myself is that rigidity will be your downfall because at the end of the day, your style is your style and it's going to flow. It's going to finesse. It's going to be malleable. It doesn't mean that it has to shift according to somebody else, but it does mean that it can grow and gestate into something bigger and better if you let it. All right. Next DMT. What are some tips to get people to understand your vision and that anything worth having is hard work, even though you're doing 90% of the heavy lifting. This is a tough one because when you set out to do something and you know you can't do it by yourself, it is absolutely difficult to get people on board sometimes. And it's not always easy to keep them on board. I can tell you right now, over the course of my career, I've had so many times where like me and somebody have created something and I've got this like whole vision in my head of like, we're going to be sitting together at the Golden Globes one day. It's going to be fucking amazing. And we're going to be toasting in our 1986 vintage Mercedes Benz. It's going to be fabulous. I couldn't tell you where those people are right now. I, I was thinking about one of them the other day. I could not tell you where they are right now. Because a lot of times what happens in my story about that is that I'll big them up so much that they end up looking at me like, you know what? Why am I rolling with you? I'm the star. Let me go and do my shit myself. They weren't the star, by the way, just so we're clear. They weren't. Because then they went and did some shit by themselves and they look stupid like standing on a beach with an infinity scarf talking about they singing. But that's a different story. Uh, um, what I will say is that one of my tips that I can give you for that is you have to make people feel like your dream is an advancement of their dream. Everybody has their own goals. And sometimes your goal is not completely 100% their exact goal, but maybe a part of what you're doing can advance what they want to do. And that's the nuance that you got to figure out. You can't expect everybody to buy into your shit because it's not their dream. But you got to figure out a way to make your dream an access point to them getting to their dream. And that may not be an indefinite thing. That may only be for a month of their time. That may be only for six months of their time. That may be for only $1,000 a payment. But the reality is, is all these people come into your life and they push you into the next step. And one of the biggest things I've had to learn is that people come in and they go out and there's going to be new people because people are a sometime thing. But your dream is not. Your dream is the constant. 
They are simply a moment and they can determine whether they want to be a part of your vision for a moment or for the entire realization of it. But you have to keep an eye out on who deserves to even be a part of your vision to fruition. Because at the end of the day, once things come to where you want them to come to, people are going to maybe ask for ownership. So there's always a catch-22 in that respect, too. People love to be like, oh, I want people to help me. I want people to help me, but I don't want to give them ownership. I don't want to give them a, p- a piece of the pie. So you have to have real, clear-cut conversations with folks. But the key that I have to tell you as anybody who's listening that's an innovator, what you have to know is that it's all in you. You have to know that. Everybody else is just a satellite to your planet of what you're doing. They are, in t- they are integral in how they have positioned themselves. But you have to know that if they left today, it would not prevent your idea from continuing to move forward. Because when you have that solidity in yourself, it gives you so much freedom to be able to explore new ideas, to be able to engage in different people that you may not necessarily have engaged in, and to be able to advance in ways that you may have not thought of. There's been times where I thought, oh my God, how am I going to get this done? How am I going to do this? I, I just wish I had. I just wish I had somebody. And I had to catch myself. And it's like, no, you got to have you. And I have what's called the genius box. It's a figurative place that I step into when I know that I need to elevate to the next level. Some might call it meditating. Some might call it praying. I call it the genius box. When I have a writer's room, we'll be stuck. We'll be like, yo, we cannot figure this out. We cannot figure this out. And it, I'll wait till the last minute and I'll be like, Let's get in the genius box. And I don't know why, but it always works where everyone steps into the genius box, figuratively speaking. And it's almost like they've now flipped this extra switch that they hadn't accessed yet. And mentally, they go to another place they hadn't gone to yet. One of my favorite comics, Dave Chappelle, before these last two specials is key. And you can see him do the genius box. You can see him take a story and you can see where he genius boxed it and went somewhere that no one else ever went with it. I mean, it's it was great to watch and it was a key element in how I developed my stand-up because it's something that is exciting when it happens. But at the end of the day, you got to know how to take yourself to the genius box. You got to know how to get the people around you to go to the genius box because that too is going to make them want to continue to work with you because that means that they know that you can take them somewhere that they may not necessarily know how to get to yet themselves. So when it all boils down to it, my suggestion is figuring out how to connect people to what you're already connected to in a way that's organic for them to connect to their own dreams in ways that they had not thought of doing before. Last question, being an innovator, besides money, what are some signs that you're on track and doing the right thing? Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good one because I feel like money is people's bottom line. If they can't quantify it with money, people are like, you're a failure. And a lot of times that comes from other people, not even you. Like, you'll know, like, I'm on the right track because it just feels right. I feel like I'm in my purpose. But then you'll have people around you. And a lot of times it might even be your West Indian parents who are like, well, I ain't see what, my, what kind of money you're making with this. I mean, I don't know if I had to go with that because that just seemed like it's a, you know, like a foolish kind of thing you're doing there. Like some kid kind of thing. And you're like, no, mommy, like, this is a great idea. Trust me. Trust me. Money is not the bottom line to success. I understand, of course, it is a great enabler and it is an incredible benchmark to advancing even further your ideas. But on the way to money, you absolutely do need to have 
signposts that let you know, keep going, keep going. One of those signposts is within you. When you wake up, do you think about your idea first? When you go to sleep, do you think about your idea first? When you have those times during the day where you're not engaged in some conversation with somebody or you're not engaged in figuring out a problem, where does your brain go to? Does it go to your idea? That's a signpost that you're doing what you should be doing because that means that you are genuinely, authentically connected to something. And a lot of people don't have that, man. A lot of people don't have an authentic connection to something that has come from within them. That's godlike to create something from nothing. So when you can have that feeling, that's a signpost that lets you know you're on the right track. Another signpost that lets you know you're on the right track is when you share your idea with other people, do you find that they're thinking about it? Do you find that they are asking questions? Do you find that they consider it useful? Because a lot of times it's not just about what's inside you, but if it's something that you're creating that's for the people, you got to find out if the people even fuck with it. And, you know, the beauty of the social media and the Internet is that you can do that in a way that's also like not always um, as dangerous as feeling like you're coming outside naked because that's a very scary feeling like throwing your shit out there and then people throw it back. (laughs) That's no fun. But that is absolutely a signpost to let you know, like, okay, this is working. If you get a vehement response from people like, yeah, that's nah, that ain't it. That ain't it. You have to genuinely think about like, maybe this isn't. They could absolutely be wrong because you may be in the wrong circle of people. Like your tribe may not be them folks, but you absolutely have to look at, okay, where is this fitting? How is this working? A third signpost to know that you're on the right track is, is your idea developing? It's one thing to be thinking about it, but it's another thing to be seeing it grow. Is it moving or is it stagnant? Has it changed? Has it, has it evolved? Has it been refined? Have you cultivated it any further? Because that is another way of knowing that there's more places to go with it. If it hits a wall, how do you get over that wall? Are you trying to get over that wall or have you given into that wall? Are you looking at obstacles and considering ways to get around them and looking at how you can create things that are not stopped by them? This is an important signpost because you're going to hit obstacles. You're going to hit stagnant moments. And you may need somebody outside of you to be like, hey, 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 hey. Get that together. Because on this path, even though it has to all be within you, you're definitely going to need cheerleaders. You're definitely going to need cheerleaders that may not be giving you ideas. They may not be helping you write or, you know, uh, solder, solder circuitry to motherboards. But they can at least give you encouragement absolutely give you encouragement. So those are three really important signposts that have nothing to do with money and everything to do with your idea continuing to grow in a real way. And that is also the final signpost is hope. I talk about hope a lot because I always say hope is a sea upon which you can sail until you get to land. And hope can be a currency all in itself. (laughs) Hope is when you look at your product and you have a real end game that's attached to it and you can attach hope to getting to that end game if you look at your product and it feels hopeless buddy that may not be the move but if you can look at it and say you know what i can see where this can go and i hope we get there you can ride that hope until that hope turns to a goal and then it turns to a plan and then it turns 
into an achievement. Um, uh, you know, the best part <clears throat> about, yeah, let's just, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. So the best part about people I like as this segment is named is that I really get to stick to the theme. And today we have somebody that I genuinely like, Mr. Robert Glasper. Yay! Could y'all, clap, could y'all clap to make it seem like, <laughs> thank you so much. Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. No, 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 too much. Gosh. So, so Glasper, Glasper and I have been in circles. We've been in circles, mm-hmm. you know, for years. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just like musician-y type mm-hmm. circles mm-hmm. from Tip to yep. BMC, yep. Um, Blau, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and you're yep. just like playing the keys. Yep. Just laying them down. That's right. Right? Yep. And over the years, what I've loved about you is you're just consistent. Uh, mm. uh, sorry, go ahead. What you, would you think I was going to say? Sexy. I don't know why I keep it, that you're going to say that. Just, uh. All right, go ahead. Um, Yeah, like what I've loved about you is that you're sexy. There we go. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Okay. And now that, that you said it, we can move on. Okay, okay, okay. I thought it was boiling, you are going to say Right. It. Ooh. Yeah. But that you're consistent, not just with the music, mm-hmm. But just as a person in this business, mm-hmm. you the same nigga every time. All the time. Yeah, yeah, all the time. All the time. So what do you attribute that to? Because I'm a person first. What I do is second. I'm not what I do. Mm. So a lot of you know, people. Love a, a lot of artists love to be like, oh, you know, I'm just like, I'm so deep. Yeah, uh, but then I've seen a lot of those people, but they were like working for someone else, the MDs of somebody or this <laughs> and that. And then when they lose that job, then they're back to just being jason or whoever your name was you know what i mean the so gig you gotta, is over gig's over you know so you once the gig is over you still got to be who the fuck you is people don't know about that they get so enraptured in the gig and this is with actors too it's just mm-hmm. like oh i'm this word, character I'm, I'm, enraptured yeah yeah i love rapture no, no, no. that's right you know yeah. she's going back on tour yes do you and see her tweet to me what did you see her tweet to me? I did not. We're Fuck talking about you. Anita Baker, by the way. Oh my gosh. <laughs> Hold on. I put it on my Instagram. Anita Baker <clears throat> tweeted to you? I mean, uh, why wouldn't she? Listen, you guys, for I'm y'all awesome. who don't know, Robert Glasper is a, a prodigal musician with several Grammy Award nominated and awarded mm-hmm. winnings mm-hmm. albums. Mm-hmm. And the reason I had you on this particular episode is because you are an innovator. You are Thank somebody. You so who has taken the craft and then put your spin on it and did it so organically that here Anita Baker came along to say, at Robert Glasper, come on, youngin' ellipses. My stage is your stage and Layla Hathaway is coming too? Let's Let's play. play? Yes, bitches. You heard it. You fucking heard it. She said that to me. She said it to me. (sighs) What do you... what? That's a lot. I know. It is a lot. Literally, like, when whenever. that happened, I was trying to remember how to be a regular person because it really just elevated myself to another dimension. That's a stratospheric moment. It is. Yeah, levitation. It is. Levitation. <sighs> that was a moment yeah, of silence. There it is. There it is. <clears throat> yeah, yeah. Think we're good. We had to give them that Think because we're good. that right there, you know. Whenever I'm dating somebody, the mm. ringtone for them is bye bye. 
puts me in like a, a willing state. That's awesome. Every time that is awesome. I answer the phone, I love it. I so, love it. Okay. We really digressed. We that's Super the digressed. story of this show. Totally. But we didn't digress because in order for Anita Baker to be hitting you and saying, let's play, it's mm-hmm. because you are fearless and because mm-hmm. you're an innovator. And I would love to talk about and just hear more about like, when did, was that always the case? Or did you have a transition point where you realized like, you know what, fuck doing the same shit. I'm about to do my own shit. Well, <clears throat> I've always, I've always been mixing the genres since I was in high school. Which genres? Um, mostly... Gospel, hip hop, and jazz. Okay. Those three things. Yeah. I say gospel because I grew up playing in church. Mm-hmm. So when I was in high school, I was playing in church. I played for three churches. In Texas, in church Texas, too, Houston. Which Houston, is a whole Texas. other yes. level of church. A whole other level of church. And I play every weekend, I play for a, a Seven Day Adventist church on Saturdays, a Catholic <laughs> church early in the morning on Sunday, what and a Baptist church. What kind of music would you play at a Catholic church? The now, organ? Now, the thing is, this should have been a movie. They played, they did Baptist music. The priest was a black man with a jerry curl named Father Marty, and he was a jazz lover. And the music director went to my high school about 10 years before me, but she was a jazz major. Uh-huh. So he loved jazz. So she would sing jazz tunes at the church, but change the words to like scripture. Yo, it should have been a movie. It I'm was really, I'm amazing. like trying to think like, Yo. God bless a child, is a, that's a given. Yo. Take that one, yeah. run with it. Yeah, but we used to do all kinds of jazz tunes, but change the words and make it for the for the call and response for the or, for the for the audience, and he loved it. Of course, all I'm thinking of is jazz tunes with re- with like God references. I'm like pennies from heaven. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yo, it was so fun. So and then he stopped at jazz. He was just open to music in general. We used to do all kinds of tunes. There. Interesting. In church, so so we're, I was doing that when I was in tenth grade okay. with with them, and then around that time is when Kirk Franklin got popular, mm, and then stop. he exactly. And when that that came over, it changed everything. So we were doing that in church first. You know what I mean? Yeah. And so it was my church, my the band at my church, my the Baptist church was playing. That was Kendrick Scott on drums and Mark Kelly. Mark Kelly now plays the bass player for the Roots. <laughs> so oh, Mark, 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 yeah. Get the hell out of here. Yeah, that's one of my best friends. Hilarious. So, yeah, so we were, we're, we're we, we all went to high school together, but we were playing at church together. And we would mix in all these jazz tunes into the church service and all this hip-hop stuff to the church service. So I was doing that for a long time. So when I got to New York and I met Bilal the first day of college at the new school in New I've York. been listening to Sometimes, like, a lot lately. Word. Like, yeah. just brought it back. Word. Sometimes. Part of that verse was about my relationship with my girlfriend at the time. The one he says... Uh, uh, you take that complaining shit way too far. Yeah, he said, uh, <laughs> "Yes, that's the one. That's that's literally the I one." I thought it was cute. Super in the, the beginning, beginning, but now, now I think I, you only do it because you know, hey, that was be, that was me, and I was her name, but her <laughs> at like, the time. Keisha. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> so funny. We wrote all those songs in my dorm at like, the new school. At, at the new school, my, my dormitory. He, he didn't really have a a, a room. <laughs> he didn't have housing really, so Bilal took over my room. Really? He, yeah. You know, he kinda, he was, <laughs> Yeah, he's homeless. Basically, yeah, yeah, yeah. so he stayed in my room. He stayed in my dorm room, and I and I stayed upstairs with my girlfriend at the time. So we were always right in my room. So that most of that first album, sometimes it's James Poyser and Questlove, of course. But the other, most of the other stuff we wrote in my dorm, all that I am, all we that literally I wrote am. that in my dorm, all in my dorm room. I know, really? And when will you call in my yes. dorm room? Yeah, most of that stuff. Mm. Yeah, most of that stuff. But you know what? So wait, just to put a pin in that. For y'all who are listening, you don't need a whole studio setup. Oh, you no. know, people be thinking like you need some official shit to make some official shit. Nope. You just need the ideas to be official. I have about four records in my phone right now. 
in my voice notes. <gasps> I've been doing this since two thousand, since my first album, to, my, since two thousand. So you just hum six. the melodies. I hum melodies, drum beats, bass lines, all kinds of stuff in my voice notes. When I come out of music retirement, it will be with you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm going to say that now because <laughs> people keep asking me, they're like, when are you going to sing again? Right. When are you going to rap yeah, again? And yeah. I'm just like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. No, really. Like, that's a real thing. Like, I have so many voice notes of just random ass ideas. And sometimes when you go back to try to listen to it, it's weird. You don't know <laughs> what the like, fuck. You're like, ooh. The fuck mm, was that shit? But uh, yeah, I don't know what that is. But yeah, I have so much in here. I have so much in here. Look, this is, you can, well, you can see it. The audience can't see, but. So he has the voice recorder. We're opening voice recorder. Oh, can we hear something? I did this today. And it reminded me of Thundercat. I said Thundercat. It says Thundercat ish. (laughs) But I like the. (laughs) I like the snare. Yeah. I like the snare. But it looks so much. Well, that's what comics do. I just have jokes. Like, I'll just be thinking about something and I'll record myself talking about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And so you recorded, so you would write those songs in there, yep. in the dorm room. Yep. And, and then, at the same time, you know, we're in college, so we were doing a gig every Friday at the at the, at the at Sidewalk Cafe Ooh. off of Avenues A <laughs> for six, uh, for tips. It was a six-hour gig. It would do for tips, and when we divvy it up, it would make like $10 a piece. Nice. Oh yeah, it was the real New York life, Jack. So we we're doing the jazz gigs, and Pizza I, I was for playing, dinner. and I was the MD at the church, uh, Canaan Baptist Church on One Sixteenth in Frederick Douglass, Harlem. Yes, I was the I was the I was the I was the MD for the male chorus and the teen choir. So Bilal would be my special guest all the time <laughs> with the with the choir, right? So, and so you know, just so we know, when we say MD, we mean music director, exactly, music director. So you know, between all that stuff, and then. Uh, you know, I was teaching common piano lessons. He lived like a few blocks up from me. Bilal lived a few blocks up from me. Erica lived a few blocks up from me. So like Erica used to come over to my house and play me cassette tapes of ideas. Right. And I was teaching Rashid common piano lessons. I didn't know who common was. Even when I was teaching piano lessons, because you I wasn't really into hip hop like that. Right. I'm from Houston. I knew Scarface. I was gonna say. Yeah. You knew. I knew yeah. I knew Scarface and, <laughs> and uh, fucking the, the, the fucking the. Oh my, why are we blanking right I know. now? Yeah. The uh, other DJ two Screw members. and yeah. Yes. Yeah. OG so, Ron C. Yeah. Exactly. But just the whole trip. Yeah. So he just like my friend raps. He's dope. He wants me on <laughs> So like, all right, cool. Hi, homie. Yeah. So I was just in the mixed in the midst of all these. All this music, all these genres of music. Meanwhile, all that's happening. I was on tour with Roy Hargrove, Ooh. doing the RH Factor stuff. Yeah, when I was my, my freshman year of college, you know what I mean. <laughs> so you add that in there. So it was just it was so much influence and so much coming at you, and it all influenced me. And like I said, we started it. In, well, I started that in church when I was in high school, so it never left me. You know what I mean. So, yeah. but basically, I had a plan. I I planned it in my mind. I said I want to make jazz records first, straight ahead jazz records because i want to get that respect first i want them to know and you wanted that respect from who i want the respect from the jazz world Got it. first because as a black piano player they were quick to put you in the hip-hop box and really? not give you oh yeah not give even you, as a piano player as a piano player they don't really give black people the respect in in general in jazz in the jazz world um anymore it, the music's turned super white super european super white and not many black people are playing it anymore because the life isn't so glamorous. You don't make any money. All the all the dope musicians stay in church or become hip hop producers. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's very not many of us. 
So I took a page out of Herbie's book, and Herbie, you know, started playing with Miles first, and then he left. At, at, actually, at the same time he's playing with Miles, he put out piano trio records. You know what I mean? To satisfy that the actual snobs and the mm-hmm. music critics, and you no, know, so they can say he's legit, one of the best piano players we've ever seen, ever heard. So then when he goes off to do. Whatever he wanted to do. Right. The funk stuff. When exactly. he goes off to do headhunters and bum, stuff like that. Bam, bam. Exactly. Yeah. Chameleon and all that stuff. They really can't say nothing. They could just hate it, but they can't say anything about his actual skill. And that's where I did. I said, I'm gonna do my first three albums going to be jazz records. They're all top charted number one jazz records. All of them. And they stay on the charts for weeks. So, so you were like Cardi B in with the jazz. Boom. Ex- exactly. <laughs> but at least at Cardi B in this, this world, they give her props. You know, fair enough. Yeah, I, I'm having all the accolades, but I'm not getting any props in the jazz world. Still, I still didn't grace any jazz covers. That's three. That's, and I would do an album every two years. So that's six jazz years. covers like of jazz magazines. No, of jazz magazines. So the six years of me being the number one instrumentalist, and I was the newest member, the newest signee of Blue Note Records. Right, and that's what I that's what I remember. Like you were like the prodigal son. Yeah, it was like oh my gosh, blah, blah blah. No covers. You know when I got my first cover when I won a Grammy for Black Radio. When I did the crossover stuff that they hated on at first. So okay, let's let's all right. We we understand why I like Robert Glasper. So let's get into the next segment. That one time, so we can talk about yes that one time that happened several times. Yes, where they tried to shit on the kid mm-hmm. for changing up and switching up and bringing innovation. Exactly. So let's get into that one time. Exactly. That, that one time. time. Okay, that one time, mm-hmm. um, which is actually one of several times, mm. hundreds of times. And you're not the first. Not at all. It happened. I I, I talk to Herbie about this all the time. Not a, not, the, not the drop that. <laughs> that sounded like that. It sounded like that. I, I wasn't to Herbie trying Hancock to do that. About this all the time. Oh, you know what? I low key. So I met Herbie Hancock yes. two years ago. Because that one time that yep. I met Herbie Hancock yes. was two years ago. Because I was with Ben Williams, yep. um, shout out to Ben on bass, yep. and he was like, "Yo, come with me to this." You know, he plays for like this her, this um, scholarship okay. competition, uh-huh. this jazz scholarship competition. Uh-huh. He's like, "Oh, they're having like a little dinner thing. Come with me." Right. And I had just gotten stood up. Wow. And I was like, "You know what? I'm going. Go, yeah, go, go yeah. where people want you. Exactly. Okay, don't sit in this house crying. Exactly. You go." And like, my house was spotless. Right. Because that's one of the silver linings of being stood up. By the way, like your house is fucking spotless. Okay. <laughs> so. <laughs> Your house is spotless. Your body's spotless. Right, you're, you're all good. shaved up because you just knew you were going to fuck and it didn't happen. So you're just like, you know what? I'm going to go and hang with some jazz musicians. And so I go with Ben to this thing and I don't realize it's like a small group of people. Right. We go upstairs and this is like this little banquet room and... I go into the side room where they have all the foods and shit because mm. I'm being greedy. Right. Okay, yep. I'm hungry. I'm being greedy. And I go into the side room and my homegirl calls me and I'm telling her about how I got stood, got stood up. And I hear over my shoulder, well, that just sounds like a problem. And it's Herbie Hancock. Come on. Herbie is over my shoulder like, oh, he fucking <laughs> up. <laughs> He's like, who is this dude? This is trash. And I'm like, I got to go. I got to go. And Herbie Hancock's right here. And you know he's dressed in his Asian, oh, yeah. uh-huh, uh-huh. Um, looking like the looking mm. like he's Mr. Miyagi. Yep. And he had said to me, he was like, you know, what people don't understand is that everybody's a creative. 
And I was like, what do you mean? What do you mean? What do you mean? And he was like, everyone's a creative. Because even if you are not an artist, it is an art to living. It takes being creative to just figure out how to make your living, how to survive in this world. Exactly. And so everybody is a creative in their own right. And I, all of this depth came from him overhearing me just talk about a fuck nigga. Exactly. And I was just like. But look at the universe. Look at the you universe. You wouldn't have met Herbie if he could can, can stood up. Look at that. Sometime when the door and closes, a garage door opens. A whole garage door. Come on. And then there's a free, there's a PJ. There's a private jet in there. And you're there like, I'm going to get on this and fly to meeting an innovator. <clears throat> and go. Herbie. Um, but so I brought that up, though, because even though you, you were talking about Herbie, because it's like you need to have those people. Totally. When you're an innovator, you need to have that innovator before you to be like, no, you good, you good, you exactly. good, you good. Because that happened to me. And he was telling me when he switched... He told me when he switched over, started doing the more electronic funk. Because in the seventies, the seventies came around, acoustic jazz was kind of phasing out, and people were doing more picking Fusion, up electric bass. Yeah. yeah, the electric basses were around, the keyboards were around, so they were doing, and they were mixing the they were mixing funk music. Yeah, funk music was big, so jazz musicians were kind of going into the funk stuff. And Herbie said they were throwing, they used to throw bottles and all kinds of shit at them while he's playing. Who's throwing these bottles? The Just audience. the audience? Be yeah, because they were like, we they didn't come. Because uh, uh, originally, they yeah, they, see, yeah, when he was when he was switching over, people didn't really know what it was yet. They just saw Herbie Hancock's name, and it's like, oh, Herbie, you know, I'm going to see Herbie, and thinking it's going to be what it was. But yeah. when it was funk, they were like, this isn't jazz. What is this? You can't do this. Bottles, though? Like, I mean, oh, come yeah, on, tomatoes, you know? Yeah, exactly. At, that's at they least They don't really have whole tomatoes at jazz clubs, really. Right. So it's easy for Fair a beer enough. bottle. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Produces. Throw nuts, you know? <laughs> like, napkins. Throw some celery. Um, <laughs> yeah, so why tomatoes? Why do, I don't know why people... Oh, because they go... Psh. Yeah. Yeah, I got mm -hmm. you. Yeah, so that's... that's that. So that's... That happens... That was happening to me all the time. Like, people would kind of, you know... Um, uh, you know, especially the, the the critics, you know, would say, well, why are you mixing these things? You have to leave it, blah, 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 blah. You know, all, Dilla, all the... Dilla ta I feel like the first time I heard you was when Q-Tip was playing me the records you were doing out of Dilla Records. Mm -hmm. Like, well, you, you came to the studio one of the nights. You came to the studio when we were doing Renaissance. Yes. Yes. And... Because I'm on Renaissance. Exactly. So and yeah, yeah. Oh, you are on the That's right. That's right. So, yeah. <clears throat> Where's that? At? Where is it? Lean forward, up top. Boom. Boom. Bam. So that yeah, exactly. So, um, yeah. I just got I got a lot of flack for it, and and it, the 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 problem was that what I was doing was actually bringing more people to jazz. It was bringing younger people to exactly. the music. You know what I mean? And, and it did they have an issue with that? A lot of people didn't even come to the show to see what I was doing. You know, they just saw the record and saw it had R&B singers on it and blah, 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 blah. Right. But they didn't really dig deep into it and understand it. So that record wasn't for the jazz people at all. It was for other people. You know what I mean? It was for it was for the R&B hip-hop audience that never listened to jazz. Exactly. That's what it was. It was crushing the aspirin and, and orange juice. You know what I mean? Yeah. And doing that whole thing. sugar. Yeah. So then all literally jazz club owners would tell me, Said it on many more many occasions. We're not racist. We don't mean to be. When I tell you this, they were like, "We've." Village Vanguard was the first person to say. They said, "We've never seen this many black people at, in the Village Vanguard." And they don't know what to do with. It. Were they happy about happy. it? He okay, was like, happy. He was like, "Okay, good." good and then good. he was like, "And like, girls." Ooh, you know, like natural young women. Yeah, you know what I mean. Like, yeah. 
They've never seen that. That doesn't happen at the Outdoors Jazz Club, but I was bringing that into the jazz club. Now, was this before you had the trio? This was during the trio. This was okay. even before Black Radio, but in my trio, Black Radio stuff started in 2010-ish, that, that kind of style. Yeah. Before that, I was doing... My, I was doing my trio stuff, but even in my trio stuff, I still had a lot of hip hop shit. You know what I mean? Like, I, I first did my real, like, I did a Dilla tribute in, on my record called In My Element. And Tip actually left me a voicemail message on the record. Yes. Say, you should do some Dilla shit. Exactly. So I did a whole Dilla segment on yes. the trio record. You know what I mean? So that that's what started bringing people to the shows because of all the hip hop logs was, you know, of talking course. about it. You know what I mean? All this stuff. So that's when they started kind of coming together. So what, what, what made you be like, is it is it simply that because you had laid down the bottom lines in the beginning <clears throat> that you felt strong enough to be like I'll totally. forge I'll forge forward or was there totally any because point- you can't deny my jazz roots my jazz chops my my jazz knowledge you can't deny it I can point to albums you can see it it's there it's documented right so you can never say oh he's a hip hop pianist or or do this I've made my he's mark bo- he's as one doing of the- he's doing a shaky hand yeah, right now I'm doing my shaky hand like you know the brush off you yeah know? you can't do that so it's easier. It's easier to get respect going from playing jazz into hip hop because you really that playing jazz into hip hop than somebody being a hip hop person trying to come in to play jazz. Then they, of course, because then they're like, whoa, 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 which whoa. never you happened. You haven't earned you haven't earned the way you have the entryway ex- into here. Exactly, exactly, exactly. And people in the hip hop world and and R and B, they're more acceptance. You know, jazz world, they're fucking snobs. They're such snobs. They're snobs. They're snobs. Stanley Crouch and these people. Oh, super snobs. Ugh. Super snobs. So now that you're where you are, which is, let's just lay it out for folks, you know, Grammy Awards, mm-hmm. you have your own niche. I feel like- Oh, I forgot. I have an Emmy too. <laughs> forgot about that. So you have the egg and EGOT. <sighs> I have the egg. The egg and EGOT. For the Ever DuVernay film, the 13th, I wrote the, uh, the theme song, the final song. So, right. Me comment and Bilal. Yeah, me comment. So, you know what, though? We've already done the People I Like segment, but I will say this. Like, you can give yourself credit without being immodest. You know what I mean? And that's why that's why I like you, Robert. Because, like, fuck that. Like, I got these, I got these awards. I, if I don't say it, no one's going to know. <laughs> and no one's going to fucking know. So I have to have some sort of, like, you know, I get that from my mom. Though. My mom was the most arrogant in a good way. <laughs> okay. You know, in a really good way. But she always. She was confident. Super confident. And I'm an Aries. It's in my. That's oh, it's your whole thing. Yeah, it's my yeah. whole thing. You know yeah. what I mean? So yeah, yeah. And, but especially, I'm in a field where they purposely kind of suppress black folks in in my own music. You know what I mean? In jazz, it's our own music, but they put you down here. And you know and I mean? it's getting worse. I've been told. It's getting worse. It's getting worse. Getting worse and getting worse. And people and 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 my my whole thing with this this thing is like. People always ask me, why did you do this? Why did you do Why did you? Because I did a version of Teen Spirit on, on Black Radio. Yes. And they're like, Shout out to Casey what? Benjamin. Shout out to Casey Benjamin. Grenada. <laughs> yes, he killed it. And uh, Layla Hathaway was on it. You know, I did yes. a whole different arrangement. So people always ask me, but why would you do a rock song? People forget rock music is black music. Yes. R&B is black music. Hip hop is black music. Jazz is black music. So I say, you know, black music is a big ass house and I'm just going room to room. We can do that, you know what I mean? Because yeah. it's it's in our blood, and this is the the music that our people's blood, sweat, and tears we they made they brought to America. 
my actual thesis for my undergraduate uh, degree was based on how black music moves the black experience and how every, if you look through history, there is music that is completely directly re- related to what's going on because we create music to Nobody tells a Latin person, a Spanish person, why are you doing Latin music? No one would ever no say that. No one would ever it say It makes it. sense. You're Spanish. Why, but that's kind of what they got. That kind of, that one, you know, black yeah. people, we got a lot of music and everybody has taken it and made their own, but they forget it's ours. So when we claim well, like it, Nicki Minaj just did a, a tweet where she said, "Like, wow, it's a great time to be a white rapper because the hip hop charts look like jazz." That's what she said. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome! Really, I got to see that. Yeah, well, they got removed, but I'm sure you can Google because everybody <laughs> loves a screenshot. But she, it was a real statement, and she was just saying, like, you know, a lot of times, like, we get co, like, the music gets co opted, and then we're not getting credit, and totally. it's like, and it's not to say that like we, everybody can't perform any kind of music, but what ends up happening is little by little, it becomes like, oh, this is no longer it like. It's almost like it becomes like if white people are doing it, it's more authentic. Like they become the the totally. the barometer for for authenticity. Totally. Like you look at Adele and Sam Smith, and like they're soul singers for all intents and purposes. Totally. But many people would argue like, yeah, but the dude in my church sings easily. <laughs> the set just easily. as good. Easily. Bilal. I mean, all for all intents and purposes, Bilal has not gotten the acclaim that he should for his skill set. He's my favorite singer ever, hands down. Favorite male singer ever, hands down. You hear that, B? Yeah, he we knows. just sat to each, yeah. next to each other at a Chris Rock show. Oh, really? Yes, <laughs> we did. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, you know, but yeah, you know, but it, you know, it's the politics of it. It's, but it's what I, but what I wanted you to tell that story because the people who are listening, a lot of them are creatives, and you know, this theme, uh, being an innovator, is so much often wrought with just the fear of innovating and like what happens if you go off the grid, you know, and and and. Not just for the creatives, but for the executives, for the people at the gates. You know, like, oh, well, we can't. What, what's going to, we don't know the outcome of this. What are we going to do? Well, none of our great innovators would have been great innovators without going off the grid. You have to. That's what, that's, it's faith. You know, it's, it's uh, courage, you know. And, but once you do that, then you can reap the benefits of it. There will be no Prince. There will be no D'Angelo. There'll be no Michael Jackson. You can go on and on and on. There'll be none of those cats without somebody's in, fuck it. Those are my. That's my thing. I'm saying. I think the world evolve, evolves and keeps evolving because of that phrase. Fuck it, because somebody has to say it, <laughs> and they just do what they do, and it's fuck it. You know what I mean? There were rules, and then someone said fuck it, and then there were rules, and someone said fuck it, and then they got mad, and then somebody said fuck it, and then they got you know. But that's how the fucking shit evolves with everything. You know what I mean? So. So you just gotta have a philosophy of fuck it. You just have to have a philosophy of fuck it. Period. I'm with it. Period. Even all the all the great inventions we have, and people thought people was crazy for thinking you could do blah 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 and make right. You know, I forget all the stories, but you know them. You know, no, there's always like, like oh, we they, we're burning this person at the stake because they were like, you know what? Perhaps there's a moon. Yeah, whatever. Yeah, I think that's a moon. Yeah, or the like, cats that, witchcraft. The catch that made YouTube. You know, all these things. Uh, fucking, um, what's the, what's the, what's the dude with the white hair, the really smart guy, Albert Einstein. Yeah, him. <laughs> You know, they thought he was crazy. Right. You know, relativity. You know what? And just on low key, on another note, Einstein was actually very against racism and would take his own time to teach black students engineering who were not getting the attention that they should at uh, different schools. Yeah. And no one ever talks about that part of him. And that's a movie I would love to make. Wow. But you make me say, wow. And you know what? It took a long time for people to realize he was a genius, too. 
Well, he wasn't. It, it took him. Oh, he was trying people to prove. People always think genius is crazy first. Totally, and he was trying to prove these certain, you know, uh, theories and, theories and yeah. shit. And a lot of times, if, if they didn't work out, you know what I mean. But <laughs> but that's part of it, right? Part of fuck it is knowing that there's gonna be some fuck ups. Totally, but you learn from the fuck ups. You need fuck ups. You need them. You need them totally. They're like hills. Once you get over them, you get more momentum. Come on, engineer. I'm preaching over here. You are. You are. Reverend well, Glasper. Reverend Glasper, we are so happy to have you here. Indeed. It was put on record that I said my return to music will be with you. There we go. Okay. Hey. So I'm, I'm hold you to it. All right. Um, and we're gonna hold the audience to making sure that they go and check out all the black radios. Yes, all the black radio albums. I have trio albums too, just under my name, Robert Glasper. I'm at Robert Glasper. I don't have no random in Instagram. No. Twenty two thirty eight cherry <laughs> blossom twenty nine. That's some bullshit. <laughs> It's Robert Glasper. Well, thank you for <laughs> continuing to innovate and pushing the envelope. Thank you so much. And, for and I'm so proud of you. I've been watching you. You're awesome, Amanda. Oh, Glass. You're awesome. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll take it. Oh, yeah. Thank you. The last dose. Ah, Robert Glasper. So glad to have Robert on the show. He's our first guy. On the show, you know, and of course he spent the whole time saying he was sexy. <laughs> love it. Love Robert. Love the music. Make sure you go out there and check out his music if you haven't already, because you will absolutely 100% be a fan. Do that. Shout out to all of my innovators who've been listening on the show. I hope that we have inspired you and, and maybe given you some extra zeal, some extra fuel to keep going, because innovators are who change the world. You hear me? Didn't this this world did not change by people who played it safe. And the reality is, is that in being an innovator, it can be a very lonely road, okay? It can be very tiring and it can be very draining. But the result is that you've created something that gives to people in a way that wasn't there before. And when you do that and you commit to it, I said it earlier in the podcast, it is godlike. And we as human beings are given this extra special ability outside of animals to create things that advance this earth. And we see it with like what people are doing with different natural gases. We see it with what people are doing with the arts. You know, we see it with what people are doing with conservation. And we see that this is not just something that is happenstance. It's been happening for centuries. People creating and making a better place. So Anybody who out there, anybody out there who is an innovator, who feels frustrated or who feels stuck, know that you are not alone and you are not the first person to feel that way. Every innovator has felt that way and found a way to fucking keep going. Because the key to being an innovator is not just coming up with a good idea. It's sticking with your good idea. I'm Amanda Seals. This has been another episode of Small Doses. Follow me at Instagram, Amanda Seals. Talk to y'all soon.